Welcome to The Virtual Shift, a show looking at the seismic changes happening in healthcare with virtual care at the epicenter. Join me and my guests as we look at key cultural and policy shifts impacting how providers, payers, and patients connect, as well as how care is being reimagined both for today and the future. Hello, and thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Tom Foley. You can learn more about this show by visiting the program on healthcarenowradio.com. And be sure to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, at FoleyTom, and the hashtag, The Virtual Shift. Today, we have a great guest on talking about remote patient monitoring, Aditi Joshi, MD. She is a, a digital health strategist and telehealth expert. He works for Nagamed Digital Consulting. Uh, Dr. Joshi, welcome to the program. Hey, Tom. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here to discuss this article and about RPM in general. Awesome. So, yeah, you did uh, you did post an article on uh, LinkedIn, and uh, the article is entitled uh, RPM, Five Trends for Next Year. Uh, well, before I go through those five trends, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, Nagamed Digital Consulting. Absolutely. So I'm an emergency medicine physician and uh, I graduated in 2009, but I got into the digital health space about 10 years ago uh, while joining a telehealth startup. And then after that, I moved on to an academic center where I ran telehealth for about five years. And through that experience, I got a lot of experience figuring out how health technologies can be implemented into clinical scenarios and clinical spaces. After expanding telehealth for the pandemic and working quite a bit on advocacy and reimbursement, I decided that I wanted to work for myself. So Nagamed is my own consulting firm. I work with startups and health systems and companies that want to do a few different things, whether it's understand how to clinically use or find um, products that have great evidence for their programs. It's developing their programs, finding the proper products for them and also just evaluating what is out in the market in general and trying to determine how do we make sure we're funding the right things, we're looking into what's going to be the right future that both the health system can use and clinicians uh, individually. Awesome. So this article outlines five items that are uh, trends for the next year. Increased adoption of wearable devices, advancement in artificial intelligence, expansion of telehealth services, increased focus on chronic care management, and emphasis on patient engagement and education. All great elements to a successful remote patient monitoring uh, program. So let's, uh, so let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are on increased adoption of wearable devices. This is really a key element of RPM and what devices are actually viable and supported by the regulations. That's a great question. And I just want to preface that I wrote this article straddling what is pretty futuristic, but what actually can be implemented into clinical practice today. I tend to be very practical because I did practice for a long time and working in health systems. I see what clinicians can actually do versus what tech is bringing us, which can be a little bit further on than what we can use daily. And so with a wearable device, I think- What do you mean by that? No, I'm well, joking. So, <laughs> so I mean, yeah, that, yeah. So what I mean is that technology and companies are creating all sorts of exciting things every day uh, that we can try and use in our healthcare system. But the healthcare system doesn't change very quickly. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that that we can talk through, of course, about billing, reimbursement. But what I wanted to say is that clinicians 
want to make sure that it's safe and that it's safe for patients. And the patients want to ensure that they can use it for their health and that um, they're going to get information that they need. And so that I think actually makes it a little bit slower for the it, taking the tech that exists and using it in the healthcare system. So I try to straddle that because it's understandable that you need to be a little bit risk averse if you're taking care of patients, right? You don't want anything terrible to happen. You want it to be safe for them. But then also we have all this great technology and is it going to make our healthcare system more efficient? How do we bring that together and straddle that, those two very yeah. sometimes very extreme positions based on what you're looking at? So that's what great I came point. at it with, yes. Um, some of these are more futuristic and some of them are more practical and things happening right now. And I, I try to stay in that practical aspect so that people can actually build things that, that'll work and get are used. So you, you, you talk about the adoption of uh, wearable devices. Uh, talk to me about, you know, some folks might be a little confused about what device is a wearable device and what is not. What's a medical grade device and what is a, a, a obviously not medical grade? And what's the impact uh, of using a non-medical grade wearable device? Your thoughts? Great. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about wearable devices, there are things that are regulated by what the FDA essentially says, this has to be regulated by us because it's giving information or maybe it's implantable. There's a whole list that they have that are specific, specifically medical grade. What's been interesting is that when we think about wearable devices, a lot of us, you know, we have a watch or something that we're wearing that isn't medical grade necessarily. We can wear, we can just wear it for its intended purpose that we bought it from. You know, we can use the Apple Watch as an example. But what has been happening is that when companies build apps or use some of the data that is being collected, uh, like the Apple Watch, for example, um, some of them are now being taken to the FDA because that information is being used in a clinical scenario. And so there is a version or part of it that is medical grade. So that has been really interesting. And we're seeing that coming together a little bit. Um, but for the actual consumer, the patients out there, uh, for you, it's probably less, we wonder less about it being medical grade, but just making sure that it's safe. So let's say that you're wearing your watch or whatever device you're using, maybe it's a ring, to take, take a look at your vital signs, or you're using it to input your blood glucose, all of these things you can use your wearable devices for. And what really it's just trying to do is give you more information about what's happening through the day. I've always thought this, you know, when we learn in medical school about taking blood pressure, for example, you know, we would take it in the office, but what we really need is to find out what's happening at home. Uh, you know, somebody takes their medication in the morning, some people take it at night, depends on what you're taking it, but maybe their blood pressure is spiking during the middle of the day and we don't know about it. These wearables and these inputs can actually give us the information to give better, uh, get better um, medications out there and just understand what's happening at home, uh, which has implications for the individual, right? You can give them better care individually, but then you can also find out for the entire population, okay, we realize that maybe this med works in a different way than we thought. So now we have that information to use and change uh, what we think about blood pressure or other factors that might be uh, implicated in it. So I think that's what's really great about the wearable devices. Uh, it's just more information for everybody. And we're going to see more of that as uh, they become part of everyday life and um, they're getting paid for in certain cases. And uh, we're getting um, more of the technology companies to go into it from a healthcare perspective. I love the idea of wearables. I have a ring myself. I, I've had a watch. I don't necessarily use the watch anymore, but I, it's not, it's just that I don't like wearing watches. But, uh, but the point is I love the wearables. 
And my my only pushback on the wearables is if you're going to wear it and then begin to rely on it, and it's not a medical grade, we create potentially the false positives, if you will, and the escalations. And I can foresee someone eventually coming down the road saying, hey, this entity using a non-medical grade uh, wearable device it created an overabundance of escalations that caused another clinical encounter, right? Unnecessary clinical encounter. So it just need to be. It's. I mean, it's. It's. It's all good. It's always best to err on the side of caution, in my view. But I can. I can see where that might cause uh, a conflict between what is are are we in it for the right reasons if you will or are we or do we have the necessary tools in place and or sh- should the wearables be more regulated than they are today as a, you know instead of going to the you know your your best buys of the world and 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 buying it off the shelf um should we have a little bit more diligence in the accuracy of these devices I do think so. And, you know, since we're talking about RPM, I was, uh, you know, I'm thinking about these devices that are connected to a platform and they're going to your clinician as well, because you're absolutely right. If you're just gathering data and you don't have any idea how to use that data, then it's absolutely uh, just going to cause more noise and maybe more, like you said, anxiety. You know, patients don't know what necessarily to do with that. And so I envision with the use of the wearable devices when they're going into RPM or RTM programs, uh, they have some ability to flag at certain levels or alert somebody when it comes to a certain point, not necessarily all the time. And most of this done is done individually for each patient because each patient may have a different threshold. Awesome. So uh, so let's move to uh, advancements of artificial intelligence. Tell us what you see. Uh, I, I think it's a great point that you made. I'm not going to read the article, but uh, tell us your vision of where artificial intelligence lies within uh, an RPM world. Right. I know there's been so much talk about AI and ChatGPT and all of the things that we're now seeing. I, I, I haven't heard anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no. really? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> oh, man. So, sorry. Yeah, so right sorry. The, I digress. No. I know. I know. I, I knew you were. But um, yeah, so it, it's really exciting, right, to, to, you know, people I know have been experimenting with all of the ChatGPT and figuring out, oh, what can I learn from or what can I use this for? I do think that's really exciting. I've certainly used it to um, just find out what does it say about telemedicine or things that I know really well and finding out, like, where it's good and where, you know, it has a little bit of lack. But I see it for RPM specifically is uh, when we use it in medical systems, we can take a lot of data that we were just talking about that we're garnering and figuring out, okay, what, what do we actually need out of this data? I think it's going to take a little bit of time because uh, we need to make sure that the data we're gathering uh, is usable and uh, clinically viable. And so I think this is where the holdup comes in using it in healthcare systems. But the reality is AI can take a huge amount of data and figure things out much faster. And again, it can help the individual because it can look at their patterns and predict what might happen. So let's say somebody has a um, small increments or increases in their blood sugar, they may not notice it, but maybe an AI is gonna say, hey, this has been going up over the last six months, even if it's been small amounts, maybe it's time that we relook at what medications you're taking, right? Something that we may not as humans be able to really see unless there was something showing us that. I find that will be great. And then also when we're talking about like population health, 
we can take data in large sense, de-identified, de use it for research and determine, okay, maybe we're seeing changes in certain areas of the country where the diets are more in one way versus um, weather patterns in another. Maybe they're affecting healthcare in um, people's diseases in ways that we don't even know about. So I find that very exciting for the AI to use it for that, to analyze warning signs and early potential health problems. You, you make a great point in that, let's just stick with remote patient monitoring. You are in this monitoring program, you have a medical device, you're taking your vitals minimally, you know, 16 days in a 30 day period, right? But yeah, and there's no alarms because you didn't bre- the 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 measure did not breach the uh, the threshold of a warning or an alert or what have you. But there's this incremental climb. It's the invisible it's the invisible event uh, that you don't yet see. And this is where AI comes into play. To your point, is that we can anticipate uh, AI can see d- data differently than just saying, "Hey, you know, incoming data, uh, a systolic, diastolic." And heart rate uh, does it does it breach any of these alert measures uh, that uh, therefore do I do I notify my doctor if you will, but again it's the trend that's equally important right anticipating the event and to uh, intervene earlier is a, it is uh, it's just a spot on point that you make it's um, and as well you talk about the idea of predicting treatments based on the trends of the data, as well as uh, detecting early warning signs of a potential problem. The idea, in my view, of remote patient monitoring, and again, you you nail it in the write-up on AI, is at the end of the day, what you're saying is, how do we do a better job of medication adherence, Mm -hmm. right? How do we do a better job of intervening. Uh, people talk about alert fatigue. I think in RPM, our alerts, bring them on. Because the point there being is I, I'm intervening. I'm intervening earlier, and I'm going to prevent that emergency room visit. I'm going to uh, prevent the hospitalization, and more so because I'm engaging them, the patients, more so on a 24-7 basis then on you know every every four months or every six months come into my brick and mortar facility and we'll have a talk uh, we'll have a chat right yep ai is that it, you know i always talk about the average medicare patient five chronic conditions nine different doctors they only see their doctor 15 hours in a given year the question here the biggest question in healthcare transformation is what happens in the other 8745 hours Yes. We if we can fix that problem and you and and AI is that tool using a wearable whether you're in an RPM program or not use a wearable start measuring your vitals start measuring yourself before it it actually becomes a need to be in an RPM program and use AI uh, to help you understand what that data is and uh, the last thing I'll say about AI is it's important in context of how we use AI and I'll use I'll use the following example. And I wrote this uh, uh, article uh, at Hims, and the point there being is, if I type into Google, how many Tylenol can I take in a 24-hour period? You're literally going to get a million responses, <laughs> right? That's not good. If I you type shouldn't. into, we have a very set up that we would tell you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, if you if you type the same question into ChatGPT, uh, the same generic question, it's going to tell you uh, whatever the PI the prescription information is, right? But if you ask it 
in context of your condition through a health system, a health program that understands what your allergies are, what your medications are, what your chief complaints are, right? How many Tylenol can I take in a 24-hour period? And then attach that information to it. Now you have contextualization and the, and, the, and that chat GPT version will say, no, you shouldn't take any Tylenol because it conflicts with this other medication, right? So we just need to be able to couch it and position AI in the context of being also aware, having external data feeds into the question that you might pose to a chat GPT like mm -hmm. platform. Just again, it's just the contextualization is critical to the ability to personalize the utilization of AI. And, and any thoughts on that, the contextualization elements? I agree with you completely. I think we're seeing, this is why we're seeing so much discussion about it because it's very exciting. But again, we have to figure out what that means. So I think the contextualization you're talking about, that's going to be, that I think is where a lot of the discussions are happening that are not limiting AI, but are saying, hey, let's just make sure we understand what we're going to use this for and make sure it can do that. Uh, and I think that's really important. So uh, yes, especially in the healthcare space, but for everything, right? Uh, we, I'm talking about healthcare being a little bit risk averse or more risk averse in other places, but that doesn't mean there's no risks in the other parts of our life. So I think it's going to be really important for all of it. Awesome. And uh, so let's move on. Uh, expansion of telehealth services. What are, you, what are you thinking in the context of what's coming uh, in that context? Yeah, so I talk about telehealth all the time. So everything, you'll find out everything that I talk about has some, it goes back to telehealth to some degree, but I, I'm joking, but it's also true. I think that, you know, telehealth, when we first defined it or what people really think about because of the pandemic is just having a visit with your doctor over video or phone. And the reality is that's just the base of what it is. And now that people know about it, we have better reimbursement. We have uh, more people who practice it. We can take it further and RPM will expand that, right? So we consider that telehealth is doing a visit or having a medical encounter from a place outside of a hospital or using technology. RPM can enhance that. You get the data that we were just talking about. And so instead of having to ask a number of questions and try to figure out what maybe is causing that, you're gonna have some data to add to it, whether it's vital signs or the patterns we were talking about um, or self-reported symptoms that patients were having. Because he, the, the truth is we all forget things, right? I can't remember what I even ate for lunch yesterday, for example. And so patients aren't necessarily going to remember a symptom they had two weeks ago, I wouldn't. But if you have this data sitting for you, the clinician can have a better idea of what's been going on. The patient can have a better idea of what was happening as well for them. And then we can use that to have better telehealth services. You know, I think a lot of the concern that clinicians have had for telehealth is that they can't do what they do in the office, whether it's get the information for um, what happens in a physical exam or they're not getting the full picture or they can't uh, see the patient, whatever it is, RPM gives them some of that objective data that they, they feel like they're missing. And so we're going to be able to take that and do more in the home or wherever remote area that person is living rather than having to bring them in for visits all the time. And so I find that very exciting to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I think that the you talk about pace of adoption earlier, right? And, and maybe the tech companies are moving too fast relative to providers being able to uh, being comfortable to adopt. I, I, I always like to separate out telehealth because a lot of providers think of telehealth as to what they use during the pandemic. It's video visit. But 
telehealth, to your point, is kind of a fusion of telehealth and remote patient monitoring, and I might even add chronic care management because they're three distinct billable entities within uh, CMS, right? So, but I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that if I have a telehealth visit, being able to see your vitals and do a higher acuity encounter versus just seeing you, uh, seeing you has some value, but uh, understanding the vitals, being able to replicate what you do in the, in, in the doctor's office relative to capturing those vitals before you go into the exam room uh, is, is critically important. And I think you're spot on. I think that's where the market's going relative to what really a viable telehealth platform is relative, or a virtual care platform is relative to what is needed uh, moving down the road. So we, uh, we, have, we have about five minutes uh, left. So I'm just going to move quickly to an increased focus on chronic care management. Awesome topic. Yeah. So, you know, I think what we've been talking about really just leads right into that. We're talking about how do we have better at-home care and a lot of the burden on the healthcare system is chronic disease management, right? It's a huge amount um, that we spend money on and a lot of it is preventative. We just need to get into finding out what is going on with patients. And so I think RPM is perfect for that. You know, we're talking about tracking, looking at vital signs, monitoring patterns, early interventions. RPM is great for all of that. And so this is how I see it really focusing on chronic disease. It can do other things, right? It's, um, it can do things for our acute care as well, but I really see it shining for chronic disease management. And uh, we've talked a lot about it, so I won't give as much talk about that, but I think it really is going to really help decrease some of the healthcare costs for these diseases. I, I think it's one of those tools, again, that what do you, how do you engage a patient when they're not in the brick and mortar? It's about patient engagement in that uh, 8,745 mm-hmm. hours, right? You can do telehealth, the video engagement side of the equation. You can escalate that or enhance that with remote patient monitoring, where you're now having a medical device and you're, and you're being literally monitored uh, throughout the, the, out the month and patient engagement increases because of that. And then for the more severe uh, s- scenarios, and maybe for this uh, plays well in the managed care arena and uh, risk-oriented uh, uh, programs, where chronic care management is really just, again, another escalation, another uh, enhancements to the delivery of care model uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, that again, can fit a lot of different scenarios, telehealth, RPM, chronic care management. That leads us into the last point of patient engagement. I think this is, this, this is, this is the issue, right? Yes. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what you see in the emphasizing patient engagement and education. So what I like to think about, because I think when we think people think of RPM, they think about all the data that we're gathering, but you can actually give data back, right? So when we talk about getting patients engaged, what I mean is patients now have in the palm of their hand the information about their own self, their own health, and they can use that data for what is important to them. Uh, For example, COPD, right? It's a disease, it's an end-stage lung disease. People have a lot of trouble breathing. Uh, it really, you know, based on the weather and how they're feeling, it really affects them. And so I remember meeting a company, this is years ago now, maybe seven, eight years ago out of Stockholm. Uh, and they basically had figured out that what was important to get patients to adhere to their treatment is figuring out what they needed for that patient population. So they would ask them that day, what is it important to you to get done today or this week? 
and they would try to manage their medications to make sure that they could have that outcome. And then it got patients more engaged and their adherence rates were much higher than the status quo at the time because of that. And I really love that because it's giving patients more control and information, right? Now that we are moving away from it being a patriarchal, hierarchical medical system. This is really important. And so the other thing too, is that with that, is that we can take just general information about their health, not just individualized and give them information back. Okay, this is what your disease process is. Here are some tools that others have used. Here are other people that might wanna connect with you if you have questions and maybe want to understand how other people manage their health conditions. There are so many ways we can take this data and information and give it back to patients that put them in control of their care. Um, because patient-centered care is really important for people and uh, it gives everybody just more control over their lives. And that's what we all want, right? We want that information for ourselves not to really be dictated to. And so I find this uh, a really incredible thing that we can do with RPM also. I agree. And I think that the one key measure relative to patient engagement, whether they're in it to win it, if you will, and and to really engage in the program and, and reap the benefits uh, that an RPM, CCM, telehealth program can bring is their compliance to the 16-day measure. The higher the compliance, the, gr- the greater uh, you know that that patient is really wanting to work towards uh, those goals. So, uh, when you're deploying a program, you always that to me is one of the uh, the, the the largest measures you can measure uh, relative to success. Your thoughts? Yeah, I absolutely agree as well because I think that this is going to be continue to be more important. And if we're looking to see what people need and want, and how are you going to be successful in business, is people using it, the end user using it, which is clinicians and patients, you're going to have to look at that. And so, making sure that this is important is going to be viable for a business plan as well. Awesome. Aniti Joshi, MD, I very much appreciate your expertise, you know, putting your thoughts out on the internet. And uh, I thought it was compelling and, and felt that it was important to take your thoughts and share it with a with an audience and hopefully give it uh, some wider consideration. So I want to thank you for your efforts. Uh, thank you for trying to uh, working towards transforming the delivery of care model. And uh, you're always welcome to come back on the program anytime, uh, anytime you want. So again, thank you for your efforts. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. That's today's shift. I appreciate the audience taking the time to tune in. If you missed part of today's episode, you can tune back in at the healthcarenowradio.com at the same time, 11 a.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern throughout the week. And be sure to check out the program page at thevirtualshift.co. As well, remember to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter at FoleyTom, and follow the show's hashtag, The Virtual Shift. I'm Tom Foley. Until the next shift.